0: The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au That's www.noblebaptist.org.au First John, I'm going to read from Chapter one and verse one down to verse number six. Actually, verse number seven. The word of God says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, Take your Bibles now and just flip back to the book of Acts again. Acts in chapter 2. And we'll read the paragraph from verse 42 down to verse number 47. And The word of God says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We're going to look at this little text in verse number 42, and you may wonder why is it we're spending so much time on one verse? Why are we spending a week on... The Apostles' Doctrine and one week on the fellowship. Well, there are some verses in Scripture, some richly packed verses that have so much to say. And as we stop and consider what the church is all about and what the functions of the church are, when you come across a verse like this that describes in detail what the church is all about, it's worth it to stop and examine closely. This is the very beginning of the New Testament church as it was beginning to function as new believers were coming to Christ. A new generation of believers who had not seen Jesus Christ face to face, just as we haven't seen him face to face and yet believe in him and seeing what they did and how they did it and why they did it is extremely important for us. We want to be the 2019 version of a new testament church we want to do the things that were done we want to put the importance and the stress on the things that were stressed and important for those folks in that age we want to carry on what they began what the spirit of god began in them well the This is, in a sense, part two of what we began last week. And we talked last week about persisting in the spirit-filled living in the church and specifically persisting in the doctrine of the apostles. This life that we live, this Christian life that we live, is the spirit-filled life. The secret, the key to living the Christian life is the power of the Holy Spirit working in each of us. The Spirit-filled life began uh, for these people in their time in the back coming of the Spirit in power on Pentecost morning. The Spirit came in power and empowered Peter to stand up and he preached this great sermon from Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 36. The Spirit convicted the listeners of their sin so that it says in verse number 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. It means the Spirit of God impressed greatly on their hearts and minds the truth, the reality that they were sinners before God and they needed to be saved and they cried out, What shall we do? We know from Peter's words in the record, uh, Luke writes here, that those listeners repented, they received Peter's words, they were baptized, and because of the promise that Peter made that they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we know for a certainty that these new believers in this new church, as it's being established, are spirit-filled men and women. And immediately there is now a change of management. I gave you that story last Sunday about that little coffee shop and its change of management and how everything about that coffee shop changed. It looked, the appearance, the people working there, the goods being sold there. But something else changed in that little coffee shop and it was the relationship between the people who were working behind the counter, people who are working out in the back field, the people who are working, serving and making coffee. They all had a new relationship with the one that was in charge and in control. They were under new management, but in new relationships, or I should say, and in new relationships. If you notice... In verse 42, most of you will have a paragraph break between 41 and 42. It really shouldn't be there because it begins in verse 42, and they devoted. In other words, the flow of the argument, the flow of the story just carries right through into the next verse. And it says the idea there is immediately they devoted or they persisted or they dedicated, that's what the word means, they dedicated themselves to the doctrine of the apostles and then, they says they dedicate themselves, the same verb drives the next phrase, the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers, and so on. Now, there's a, there is a progression here. It's not just a list, one, two, three, four. What it is, is a statement followed by a series of results. So, as they persist and dedicate themselves to the doctrine of the Apostles, there is also, as an outflow of that dedication, there is a dedication to the fellowship. Doctrine is first. The truth of Christ is preached. The truth of Christ is taught and explained and given to these new, these new disciples. And then the truth of Christ is lived out. Fellowship is produced and increased and enhanced by the preaching or the teaching or the sharing of, The studying together of the doctrine of the apostles. Why is it so important that we as Christian men and women spend time, as we encourage you to do, and we hope you are doing, and we're all doing, in the word of God? Because time in the word of God, understanding the doctrine of the apostles, has a carry-on effect. It affects the fellowship, as well as the breaking of bread and prayers. and In a certain sense, you could even say that the fellowship is kind of a heading over which the breaking of bread, the prayers, the sharing material possessions, the sharing with those in need, that fall falls underneath the heading of the fellowship. They're under new management. They're now dedicating themselves to the fellowship. I want you to notice, I don't know if your Bible Your version will pick it up, but you should have the definite article the should fall in front of each of those things. Now, in my ESV, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, you'll notice the the shows up in there more literally. It reads like this and they devoted themselves to the doctrine of the apostles and the fellowship and to the breaking of the bread okay it's very key and the prayers they're very specific he is defining very tightly those things he's talking about and that's very important for us so we want to look today at the fellowship what is the fellowship we'll look at three things here and these are simple points what is the fellowship With whom are we in fellowship and how is it that we as a New Testament church in 2019 dedicate ourselves to the fellowship? There is uh, a little note sheet with all the verses in here. I was taken aside and soundly rebuked for not including a note sheet last Sunday. And so I'm very glad that the two sisters who did that did that because it's good and um, and, uh, I hope it helps. Uh, There is a space on the back I do put there. taking notes. By the way, just a little quickie about why we do this. You remember more. You'll get more out of it. (laughs) I can see people nodding already. You know what I'm going to say. If you write some notes down. Uh, that uh, It was also pointed out very carefully last night. At times I speak quicker than maybe is necessary. And sometimes in the blast of words coming across the pulpit, you might get lost. Well, this will also help you not to get lost as I'm barreling along. I was also reminded this week by some other folks in the church that some of you don't speak English as a first language. And so when I'm going along at breakneck speed, uh, I can leave people who don't know English as a first language in the dust. And so I am trying very hard to pace my speaking. To, just to give you an example of what it's like, I spend 20-plus hours studying all week for this. So I've jammed information inside of me, and it's like blowing up a massive balloon. And then someone says, let the air out slowly. Yeah, good luck with that, right? It's just it wants to come out in a rush. And that is why I sometimes get a little quick. <laughs> but I will try. What is the fellowship? What does it mean? And a fellowship is translated from the Greek word kinonia, and it means common life. It means a close association. It means a close relationship. In some sense it means to be like a family to each other. The scripture describes fellowship in different parts using terms like this or using concepts like this. A business relationship. A marriage relationship has fellowship in it. A partnership where two are working together to accomplish something. It describes and illustrates fellowship. Now in the secular Greek, the common Greek of the day that this was written, it meant sharing in goods, a sharing in, in wealth and goods. It also had the idea of communion with a god or goddess through the sharing of a meal together. Now you see what Paul did with that word? Why does he associate the fellowship and the breaking of bread right beside each other? Because he's talking to them in their language and saying, listen, you are to persist in the fellowship. And that includes the breaking of bread that we do here on the first and third Sundays of every month. That's the sharing of a meal. The Tyndale New Testament commentary describes fellowship as sharing in the experience of Christ. You also get some illustrations of this beautiful relationship in the Bible. For example, David and Jonathan, two great friends who had tremendous fellowship. In fact, one writer said their love was sweeter than the love of a man for a woman. They were great, deep, bonding friendship and relationships there. Moses and Joshua. Moses goes up the mountain to get the law of God, and Joshua follows close beside him. Moses goes out to the tabernacle, put away from the camp, and Joshua goes with him. And there's a friendship, there's a bond there between these two men that goes beyond just an ordinary friendship. Jesus and the twelve. I'm convinced that they had a tremendous fellowship. There was a unique bond between those men. God and His church, clearly, we are in fellowship with God. So the idea of fellowship is to be in a relationship. We are one spiritual body by faith in Christ. We're one spiritual body inwardly, each of us, by faith in Jesus Christ, And outwardly, we're one spiritual body because we all adhere to the doctrines, to the principles, to the faith of the church, and we adhere to one another. There is a relationship that, as we're going to see in a minute, I get so excited thinking about this. There is a relationship that we have as believing brothers and sisters with each other that God has established that goes so much further than the blood relationships that we're born into or related to as father and daughter and mother and son and and husband and wife in that sense. In fact, Jesus even said, he who does not hate his father and mother and brother and sister and so on, he cannot meet my disciple. Does that mean I got to hate my brother Wes? No, I don't mean that Wes. I mean my other Wes, my own physical brother in Canada. No, what it means is, that the relationship I have with Jesus Christ is so much sweeter. But it's also true that the relationship I have with brothers and sisters in Christ, in this church, is so much sweeter even than my family relationships because we are blood brothers and sisters, but not the blood in my veins or the blood in your veins. We're blood brothers and sisters. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed to make us one family. The fellowship is a state of being for all disciples of Christ. It's a relationship. We're brought into a relationship between God and man. We're brought into a relationship through Christ's life and death. We're brought into a relationship through the work of the Holy Spirit that day. As Peter's standing up and he's preaching the gospel, God the Holy Spirit is working all through those 3,000 men and women standing beneath him, standing with him. And he's opening all their hearts to understand the gospel and he's convicting them all of their sin. It must have been a marvelous thing to be able to see what the Spirit of God was doing. And as he was doing it, he was imparting faith. For them to believe he was opening the understanding of their minds and opening their hearts and convicting them of sin and as he did it as it were he was taking a giant needle and a thread and he was beginning to sew them all together and he was binding them together and as they began to believe it's like he grabbed that needle and thread and gave it a big pull and it sucked them all together and the Bible says, and immediately, or and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship and so on. The fellowship is to be in the fellowship is to be baptized in the Holy Spirit into Christ and into his body. And that gives us some idea of with whom we are in fellowship. That's the second main point. The fellowship that we understand here, has its origin in the Trinitarian relationships of the three persons of the Godhead. And this is what spun my head off my shoulder as I was reading this and studying this this week. Think about this for a second. We go to heaven. And what did Jesus say? In heaven there's neither marrying nor giving in marriage. So I love my wife to bits. I I couldn't even comprehend the thought of being separated from her. But in heaven that relationship will be gone. But the relationship I have between brother and sister in Christ, the relationship that we have as believers with the Lord Jesus Christ is an eternal relationship. Isn't that cool? (laughs) You're all, yeah. So? Brothers and sisters, you're stuck with me. Sorry. Sorry. But that's okay because I'm stuck with you too. It's an eternal relationship. And the relationship, the bond that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit enjoy as members of the Trinity, this relationship, this fellowship that he's talking about here is the closest thing that you and I will ever get to being able to be a part of that Trinitarian relationship. Let that sink in for a second. I didn't say we're going to become God. I didn't say we're going to become like one essence and all, you know, billions of persons. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that fellowship that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have together as members of the Trinity, that's the fellowship that God has swept us up into. And he's making us sons and daughters, isn't he? He's working on you and he's working on me to change us and make us like Jesus Christ. And the fellowship that we have, the love that we have, one for the other, is supposed to reflect and display the love of God to all of us. And the closest that we have to getting inside and a part of that eternal relationship is what we have in the church. And Luke says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. I want to unpack that Trinity thing a bit more, okay? God is eternal. We'd all agree with that. God is eternally the Father of the Son. That's a relationship. God is also eternally the Son of the Father, right? Because God the Father and God the Son. God the Son is eternally the Son of the Father. Makes sense, right? God is eternally the Spirit proceeding forth from Father and Son, and inside the Godhead there there is love and harmony and unity as those three distinct persons. Don't make the mistake of thinking that God is one person with three faces. It's not true. He is one God with three persons. Here's where knowing your theology is so important. Three persons. Three distinct roles now there's some overlap in the roles that they do, but they all have three distinct three distinct roles, right? so that Godhead has that an eternal relationship. You and I adopted into God's family, we are now eternally children of the Father. Now the God the Son is eternally God the Son, He was always God the Son. He will never lose that sonship. He cannot, right? You and I, at a moment of faith, when we became believers in Jesus Christ, we became the sons and daughters of God, and that relationship will never change. One doctrine out there that I hate more, not more, but as many as, as much as a few others, put it that way, is a doctrine you can lose your salvation. It just makes me, I want to just jump up and grab people and shake them to their head rattles when I hear about that. I go, don't you get it? How can God adopt you and say, you're eternally my son. Oh, go away and throw you away. It's not happening. Once we're saved, we're included in that relationship. That's an eternal relationship that will never end. We are eternally brethren and disciples of the Son. He is our Lord and our Master and our friend, with a capital F, with great respect. He is that for eternity. And, when, and Luke says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. They were devoting themselves to far more than cup of tea and cup of coffee and a cookie after church. We call that the fellowship time. That's a tiny, that's an infinitesimally small idea of what they were devoting themselves to. They were devoting themselves to the fact that they're now part of a relationship that will never end. We are eternally related to the Spirit. We are eternally related to each other. The Bible says that we are in the fellowship with Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9, it's on your note sheet there. It says this, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You and I have an eternal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We can never lose it. We can never leave it. He will never put us away. What a great hope we have. We are in the fellowship with the father back in first John chapter one and verse three. It's actually in your sheet know already. It says, um, we'll read the whole passage, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. Do you notice the way John clearly defined that? He didn't just say is with father and son. He said, and is with the father and is with the son. He made the time and he wrote it clearly defining true relationships there. We are in eternal relationship, an eternal fellowship with the father. Meaning what? Meaning we have something in common with the father. What is that thing that we have in common with the father? Christ. He's the one we have in common. We've been made new in Christ. We've been made sons and daughters through the death of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. We have fellowship. We have a relationship with the Father. We are in a fellowship relationship with the Spirit. The Bible says in Philippians 2 verse 1, if any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, that participation there, I believe it's the same word, kinonia." any fellowship in the spirit what paul is saying in philippians 1 is if any of those things happen and the assumption the, the automatic assumption is there is so he's saying since there is a participation in the spirit and so on and then he makes his point so what he's saying is there is a fellowship a relationship with the spirit We have been brought, brothers and sisters, into a relationship, a binding relationship. Remember we said this way back at Christmas about the covenant? okay? And what a covenant is? And we have been part of included in a new covenant. A covenant is a blood-bought bond or a bond made in blood. In other words, God bound himself to a relationship with with us through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have that unbreakable, unshakable relationship. But you know what else? We are in a fellowship relationship with each other. And I want you to see, there's a beautiful phrase in Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. It says, for as it's in your note sheet there, For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. What does that remind you of? Well, the Trinity, right? One God, multiple persons, multiple functions, right? One body, many members, not all having the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. That's us. And individually, now notice this phrase, members One of another. So you and I, as as members of the body of Christ, are members of each other. So we share something. In that little phrase there, there's a little glimmer, a little sparkle of the truth of the Trinity. They share something in common. What we have in common is the Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he's what? New creature, right? He's a new creature. He's made new. All the old is gone. It's all been new. We have been grafted into the body of Christ and we share in common what each other shares in Christ. Each other has in Christ, which is Christ himself. So when it says they dedicated themselves to the fellowship, it means they dedicated themselves to that new relationship they had in Jesus Christ. What does it look like? How do we actually practice that dedication, that devotion? I want you to notice that the idea of fellowship can be both a noun and a verb. We talk about the fellowship. That's a noun. It describes a thing. So that thing it's describing is our relationship. We also have fellowship with one another. Well, That's a verb, right? It's the idea of um, doing something. Right? So what are those things that we do that practice and show that dedication? How do we develop and increase and strengthen that dedication to the fellowship? We are included in the fellowship. We practice fellowship. Fellowship is a sharing in that relationship. I'm in a marriage relationship, but it's not static right i am to live as a husband i do husbandly things we're renovating our bathroom i'm in there you know putting up plaster and chipping out concrete and and pl- doing plumbing and then redoing the plumbing and then redoing the plumbing again and hopefully that will be the last time i have to redo the plumbing because if i have to do it again then there's a big problem but moving on being a husband is involved in doing things right so as members of the body of christ in the fellowship, we actively participate in fellowshipping with each other. Well, how does that happen? Oh, that's easy. We make coffee and we make tea and we put out a tin of cookies and we have fellowship, right? Well, yeah, oh, that's the start of it. That's a tiny little point of it. But it's so much more than that. In fact, the Bible has lots to say about that fellowship. But I want us to start with one thing first dedicating ourselves to the relationship means that we cultivate that relationship in order to allow it to grow. Meaning what? Meaning just as I spend time with my wife and we talk about things and discuss things and we share together and some of the best times we've ever had together are sitting on a beach side by side, not saying anything. And we're just enjoying being together. But there's time spent one with the other. And that time spent, that conversation engaged in, cultivates and builds that relationship and to the point where I can tell what she's thinking sometimes from across the room. Usually when I use her in a sermon illustration, she gets the look that says, stop doing that. Okay, I'll stop using you for sermon illustrations. Right, You can tell what your wife is thinking because you spent time with her. So cultivating the relationship we have with the Father means learning to live as sons and daughters of the Father. It means learning to live with the Father's teaching and guidance. It means submitting to the Father's disciplining hand in our life. Read Hebrews 12. It talks all about the discipline of the Father and the way the Father disciplines us with the intention to change us and shape us and make us more like Christ. We cultivate the the fellowship and relationship with the Son. We follow His leading. We look at how Christ lived His life, the things He said, the priorities He established. I'm always rebuked reading through the life of the Lord Jesus and seeing how often he got up early to go and spend time with his father in prayer. Jesus was a man of prayer. In fact, listen to uh, Paul Washer again the other day, and he made the comment that when Jesus spent time with his disciples, they saw him cast out demons, but they never asked him to teach them how to do that. They saw him raise the dead, but they didn't ask him how to teach us how to raise the dead. Those disciples saw Jesus healing blind people and deaf people and mute people. And they never said, Lord, teach us to do that. But when they came upon Jesus in Luke chapter 11, it says they came and Jesus was in prayer. And they waited until he had finished. And then they said, Lord, teach us to pray. In other words, the power of the impact, the intensity, whatever it was about Jesus' prayer life was so engaging and so impactful to them that when they asked Jesus to teach them something specifically, that's what they asked him. And brothers and sisters, how we cultivate a dedication to the fellowship that we have with the Son is time spent with him in prayer, meditating on Scripture. My son Cameron gave me a good uh, lesson this week. He said, Dad, you know, it would be so much better. I think if I just spend 15 minutes every day, I take one verse of Scripture and I meditate on that one verse. And I was immediately reminded of how often the Bible talks about meditating on Scripture. And the Bible says almost nothing about reading through it four or five times in a year. It doesn't say that, but it says lots about meditation. About examining a scripture under the power of the Holy Spirit and speaking in prayer about that scripture to God, and asking Him to explain it and show it. And a couple of times this week, I took the, I did his, followed his example, and did what he said about that in my office with one verse, and was so powerfully impacted. The the article you see in there. The Christ our fellowship from Leviticus chapter 1, that was the result of sitting there and just chewing over a verse. And think about how it all unpacks. We cultivate the fellowship that we have with the Son as we spend time with Him. We cultivate the relationship that we have with each other in Christ as we spend time with each other. I was rebuked this week again, Postural ministry. About spending time with the saints, visiting the saints in their home, getting to know them, understand them, to talk with them. We had a wonderful time with one couple this week for an evening on Friday night and hearing about their life in communist Europe and what it was to grow up as Baptists in a place where Christianity was forbidden. And just marveling. I spent some time with a fellow uh, down in the coffee shop. And he's telling me about his family and how they went over to Saudi Arabia in the illegal underground church. And his family got alongside these believers. And they encouraged these people who are meeting at the risk of their lives. And here's me moaning and groaning about, oh, you know, it's hard. And he's talking about, you know, these guys are going to die for their faith if they get caught. And all of a sudden, my moaning and complaining got really small. Didn't mean much. We cultivate the fellowship that God has put us in. Listen, whether you like it or not, God has put you into this church. God has put you beside the person you're sitting with. It might be your wife, but it might be your husband. It might be another believer. But listen, if you eradicate all the chairs that are empty and push us all together, and I think we should do that one day. Have everybody sit tight together in all the rows. Right up against each other. all good and uncomfortable. I'll stay up here where I got elbow room, but you can all sit in the tight together down there. And realize that, listen, God has put us together in this church. And there is a necessity for us to cultivate the fellowship, the relationship in Christ that we have with one another. And brothers and sisters, that's what they were doing. They were together. Look what it says a couple of verses down. Uh, Acts chapter 2 again. It says, verse 44, and all who believed were together. Now you say, oh, but you know, if we look at the ancient church and we see the size of homes and so on, you can quickly analyze and realize there's only about 30 people in each home. So they really weren't all together. They were all spread all over the city. I don't think that's true at all. You read a bit further down and it says in day by day, Attending the temple, or you could also phrase that, persisting with one mind in the temple. What did they do in the temple? They got together. You know how big the temple courts were? Massive. You could have 3,000 or 4,000 people all together at the temple. Now, it may have been in smaller groups. That's quite possible. But I think the point we'll need to get across is these people who once were scattered all over, were from different parts of Judea, separated by regions and separated by different sects inside that religion. All those barriers were pulled away. And these believers were together. They wanted to be together. They loved being with the saints, fellowshipping together, enjoying the love that they shared one with the other, enjoying Jesus Christ together and brothers and sisters there is something so sweet when we take time to pray in the prayer meeting on wednesday nights and i'll confess very quickly we often let the bible study go far too long and spend far too little time in prayer but there's a few moments in there when we're praying together and the spirit of god is moving in the room and he's laying prayer on so-and-so's heart and -and so-and-so's heart and one of the sisters begins to pray and she begins to weep in prayer and it's like everything just stops. And in that moment, that fellowship of the saints becomes so powerful and so strong. There's a connection there. Why? Because of hockey or footy or business or politics Or something like that? No, because we're sharing what we have in common with each other. We're sharing Christ together. There's a fellowship there. We are to dedicate ourselves to do that. But there's more to it than that. We noticed this morning that the clock back there is uh, losing time. So as far as you're concerned, it may seem like an hour-long sermon, but it's probably by that clock only about 20 minutes. So I can preach extra, extra long, and you can't tell we dedicate ourselves to the fellowship go back to first john and look at that, that passage again first john chapter one take your bibles this time and flip back there is something so key about using your own bible i give you the note sheet to help save time but your bible is far better because i want you to see it in the word of god in front of you that you're going to look at when you read it next time 1 John chapter 1 I want you to notice verses yeah verses 5 and 6 This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What's he saying? He's saying the way that we develop and cultivate that fellowship that we have one with the other and with God is by walking in the light. By striving to live according to the doctrine of the apostles, by striving to live the new life in Christ. All of Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians, I don't think not Galatians, but those three anyway, all talk at some point in there about putting off the old man and putting on the new man, putting on Christ. Living out the reality of who we are in Christ means to walk in the light. It means I put off the old habits and the old thinking and the old attitudes and I strive to live and walk in the light. In the light that is Jesus Christ. And when I do that, I'm cultivating the fellowship not only when I, that I have with the Father and the Son and the Spirit, but I'm also cultivating the fellowship that I have with my fellow believers. You ever, I hope this is not true of you, but when I was younger, a new believer, young believer anyway, in my late teens, I lived a very ungodly lifestyle. And I rocked up to church on Sunday morning with my gray suit or blue suit and my King James Y. margin leather-bound Bible under one arm and possibly even still a little hungover from the night before. And nobody knew. But you know what the funny thing was? The more I lived like that, the less I wanted to be at church because I'd spend time with these Christian brothers and sisters, and I'd spend some time with my friends who were going on for the Lord. And I could sense there was a widening gap there. Yes, we were still brothers and sisters in Christ. That relationship cannot be broken. But there was a strain there in our relationship. And the neat thing <clears throat> was some of the older ladies in our church. I know what it is with older ladies. But give thanks for the older ladies in the church. God gives them a perception of, and an insight that sometimes men don't pick up on. And they see right through facades. And some of those older ladies, as they watched me and would talk with me, and I didn't like talking with them because when they talked to me, I could sense that their eyes were seeing straight through the gray suit and straight through the scrubbed up, clean shaved, short hair and the leather bound King James Bible. And they were seeing what I was doing on Saturday night. Now, it may be that the Spirit of God was just convicting me through the eyes of an older lady, but I'm convinced that they could see it. And some of them I'm, I know were praying for me that I wouldn't live that life very long, that I would turn away from it and follow Christ wholeheartedly. In fact, one of the older men who saw it one day buttonholed me. And he said, Nelson, when are you going to give yourself fully to Christ to live? Fully for him. And thank God for that dear older brother. Because I stood there and there's another believing friend with me. And I just kind of looked at him and I didn't have a word to say. Because I knew if I tried to say anything, it would either be a lie or worse. And so I think I literally fled the room. And somebody provoked me like that. But you see, the fellowship of the saints... The relationship that we have with one another. God gives members of the body of Christ, elders and elder ladies at times, the insight, the perception that says that one is not walking with the Lord. Pray with him. Pray for him. Get alongside of him. Help him or her. And that idea of cultivating, is, it's developed and cultivated as we walk in the light, as we put off the old man and put on the new man. It isn't just so that we can have a great relationship with God. It's so that we can have a great relationship with each other and with God at the same time. We live in a world, brothers and sisters, that's very individualistic. It's all about you Never mind your friends or family, it's all about you. But the church is different. And we are called into the fellowship of God's people so that we can each minister and share the word with one another so that we can each help build each other up in the faith. So we dedicate, we practice the dedication to the fellowship by walking in the light, number one, by refusing to walk in darkness. It's the same idea in reverse. Also by sharing in ministry, take your Bibles again, the verse in the sheet if you want to, but take your Bibles if you can and go to Ephesians chapter four. I just noticed someone took the clock away. That means they're either fixing the battery or they removed the clock to save the frustration. Either way, it's not there. Ephesians four, verse 11 and 12. I want you to notice this. It's a great passage, but often we miss the point. Paul's writing and he says, and he, that's Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. What does that mean? Does that mean that the elders in this church, maybe the deacons too, maybe their wives they're responsible for all the ministry of the church to do all the work of ministry to do all the building up of the body of Christ you should all be doing this that's not what it means it means that God gave those gifts including in this particular point pastors and teachers for the purpose of equipping the saints that's everybody in the church equipping all the saints for the work of ministry, comma, to, to explain a little further, for the building up of the body of Christ. We cultivate that dedication to the fellowship by ministering the word of God to each other. Now some of you are probably thinking to yourself, he, he talks about that a lot. He seems to say that every other week. You're right, I do say that a lot. You know why? Because it's true. Because I've seen in my own life and I've seen in your lives when believers get alongside of each other and minister the word to one another, it's tremendously beautiful. From an elder's perspective, I see that happening and I just want to step back out of the way. Here's two members of the body of Christ and they're building up one another by sharing scripture with one another. See, it's my job, my calling, my joy, frankly to equip the saints to give you everything you need as best I can in complement with the Holy Spirit as he supplies the need through me so that you can then in turn witness and minister and build one another up in Christ. That's the point. So we cultivate that dedication by sharing in ministry, by sharing the work of ministry each with the other. You're not here to sit on a seat, to come in, sit, listen, and go out again. That is not what a church is designed to be as an active, vibrant, living church. We're to come in, listen, worship, speak, get alongside one another. This this church service takes up an hour and a half of one week. There are so many other hours, waking hours of the week, that we can be in ministry with one another. With modern technology, you don't even have to be standing beside anybody anymore, although I do think that's the better way to do it, to minister one or the other. One of the brothers in the church has been sending me texts with Bible verses. Thrills my heart. I love to send them to you guys, but when I get one back, it's like, wow, praise God. He's doing what well. I'm trying to get everybody to do. And when we do that, it cultivates and builds up and strengthens the fellowship we have with one another. And one day maybe we'll get to that level when we can openly share the struggles and difficulties we have with one another and gather around one another and pray together and plead with God's help for those spiritual battles each of us are struggling through. But we're so quick to pull the shields up around ourselves and say, everything's okay. And inside, we're falling apart and breaking down. And brothers and sisters, God put us in a fellowship together and put us side by side like you're all sitting side by side so that we could minister one to the other and build up the fellowship of the saints. There's more, but I'm going to leave it there. So let me ask you the hard question. What is your dedication to the fellowship? These... Early believers in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves. They persisted. That's the word. They dedicated themselves to the fellowship. I told you last week about our little dog, Pepper. You give her a little stuffed toy and you drag her around the, the family room floor because her feet just sort of skid on the floor. And her little teeth, her little baby puppy teeth are still clamped down so tight on that little stuffed toy's ear as she won't let go for anything. You literally yank it out of her mouth. If you're cruel enough. But the point is that she persists. She says, I won't let go. I'm, it's mine. I'm not going to let go. Brothers and sisters, the fellowship that you have been called into is yours to enjoy, to be a part of. You're in it. You can't get out of it. And my hope and my prayer is you never want to get out of it, but you want to be in it more. And as we have, we come alongside one another and we pull down the walls of pretense and super sanctified, super spiritual facade. When we pull it all down, and say, you know what? I'm not always a very spiritual guy. I make mistakes. I say things and do things I shouldn't say at times. I struggle. I struggle. And when we can pull that down and allow the fellowship, that relationship that we are in as a body, what does the body do when an infection gets into it, right? Alarm goes off in the brain. Little messages sent down to the white blood cells, I think. I hope this is right. And they go running up to the final infection and they all charge it and attack it with machine guns and bombs and all kinds of things to get rid of it. Because they want to get what's causing the body pain and trouble. They want to get it out. What does that mean for us? When one of us is in pain, it is the design of the body of Christ in fellowship together, in relationship with one another, to come alongside and pray for one another and apply the soothing balm of Scripture to one another to deal with that problem so that we can move on and we can live life to the full for christ that's what we're that's what it's all about that's the way god designed this body that we're a part of that god has brought you into praise god for the way in which he put together this body of christ that we're privileged to be a part of and that we can't get out of that offers us the best relationship with the sweetest long-term handling. We're going to be brothers and sisters for eternity. I hope that doesn't depress you. But we are. We're going to be brothers and sisters in the Lord for all of eternity. And nothing will be able to separate. We talk lots about nothing separating us from the love of Christ. Did you ever think that the love of Christ isn't just Christ's love for me? It's Christ's love for me and for my brother and sister, and it's Christ's love in me for them too. And nothing can separate us from the love of Christ that he gave us to express one to the other. What a wonderful Savior we have. Amen.